all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 492. Every time we do one of these COVID shows, we hope that it will be the last, but we are here to provide, and what I mean by we is Sarah is here to provide (laughs) all of the educational resources that you need specific to the Omicron variant. And I know we've gotten a lot of questions about this topic specifically because how it really changed the trajectory of how things were going for a while. And um, I'm excited for you, Sarah, to share with us uh, the science and the facts and the information about why that is and kind of looking at some of that data and research. I do want to remind our listeners, if this is the first show that you're listening to, that we come from a perspective of looking at the science and sharing information. We're not here to tell you what to do or how to do it other than we hope that you're making choices in the best interest of community health, whatever that looks like for you and your own personal health. And when you are empowered with information, we strongly believe that that allows you to make the best choices for you, your family, your loved ones and community. So uh, we are not medical professionals giving medical advice either. We definitely recommend that you talk to your doctor if you have any questions about your own personal health. And I want to also be really upfront that I have 25 pages of notes, so we're definitely going to cover this episode as a, as a two-parter. Um, we've been waiting to cover the Omicron variant on the show to actually have some real data and some real studies to discuss. One of the things that's happened, it's only been just over six weeks since it was actually first identified in South Africa, and of course, it has rapidly taken over across the globe. And so we're trying to strike that balance of having, you know, real studies, a lot of, you know, peer-reviewed studies and some preprints coming out of really high quality labs that do just great, great science to talk about. But we also want to acknowledge upfront that there's still a lot more about Omicron that we're going to learn over time. And so I, again, sort of want to, as we've done on, with all of our over a dozen COVID and, and COVID vaccine shows over the last two years, um, I want to I state right now that this is accurate based on the science that we're talking about today. And if there is uh, enough of an evolving picture over time as more data comes in, we'll, of course, cover it again on the show. Yet once again, I'm, I'm going to say... I, I hope not, but just because these are very, very, very uh, labor-intensive shows to research for me. Um, so this is going to be a two-parter. Uh, today we're going to talk about everything we know about the Omicron variant, and next week we're going to talk about more details in terms of how to prepare, how to, um, you know, what we can do as individuals to reduce our risk of severe disease, what to have on hand in the home. 
in case we do get Omicron. Um, and we're going to go through actually a lot of the interesting science on nutrients and diet and lifestyle and severe uh, COVID-19 risk. Um, but today we're going to focus on what is it that has made this variant take off? What is it that's made this variant now uh, responsible for at least 3 million new cases a day is the current global seven-day average. And given the high positivity rates of testing, so in America, our, our new infections per day has averaged over 700,000 for almost two weeks. That's the rolling seven-day average. And our positivity rates um, at the last time they were updated, which was a couple days ago, were 28.6%, which means we're undercounting cases in uh, the United States of America by a lot. So the World Health Organization basically recommends, based on a lot of science and statistics, that if the positivity rate is 5% or less, then that's a good indicator that you're catching most of the cases. Uh, when the positivity rate gets higher than that, it's a good indicator that you're not actually testing enough and there are a lot of undiagnosed cases out there. Part of that has to do with breakthrough cases being mild, asymptomatic cases, so you don't even think to go get tested, uh, testing shortfalls. There's a lot of places in the country right now where it's very, very hard to get a test, as well as uh, no reporting mechanisms in most places for home tests. So with the increase in the rapid uh, lateral flow home tests that we can do. If it's positive, you know what action to take, but you don't necessarily have that being officially reported. So all of those things are going into undercounting of of infections. Um, but the the biggest contributor to that is just how how just insane uh, Omicron is in terms of how contagious it is. So it now accounts for at least 98% of the total cases of COVID-19 in the USA. And um, scientists now believe that Omicron is likely to become endemic uh, with the huge extra caveat on that statement that says, unless an even more contagio contagious variant displaces it, um, our listeners will recall when we talked about Delta not that long ago, it was sort of thought that this was maximum contagious and that this was the variant that was going to take over the whole world and be the variant that became endemic. And the caveat then was, unless something more contagious comes along, along came Omicron and sure enough, more contagious. And we'll, we'll get into um, exactly what goes into making Omicron more contagious, exactly how much more contagious it is uh, and why. Um, but I think it's it's um, it's really important for us to talk about on the show because of this fact that at least what it looks like now is that Omicron is going to be with us for a while. I did want to start off by talking about the pronunciation of Omicron. Uh, there are two what are sort of considered correct pronunciations. I pronounce it Omicron, uh, which is definitely the sort of Canadian UK pronunciation that's uh, trying to be as close to the Greek pronunciation, which would be, oh, I can't speak Greek, but it's more like Omicron. Uh, so and probably any, any of our listeners who speak Greek know that I, I did not do a very good job of that. Um, but that's the UK Canadian sort of pronunciation is trying to be close to the Greek the American pronunciation is more like a, a short a short O, so it's Omicron. 
Um, and that comes more from looking at other words that have O-M at the beginning where you, you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say I'm eating an omelet. You say I'm eating an omelet. So they're both considered correct pronunciations. Both are okay. Omicron is just my, my default, uh, because I learned the Greek alphabet in undergrad when I was, when Greek, Greek letters are used very commonly in, in physics calculations to represent various, uh, quantities. So that's where that comes from for my pronunciation. I would just say the incorrect pronunciation is adding an extra N. So I've heard a lot of omnicrons or omnicrons adding an N after the M. And uh, that, is the, that is the incorrect pronunciation. We'll put a little link in the show notes to a YouTube video of like an actual linguist explaining the pronunciation, just because I think, I think it's tangentially interesting. It hadn't occurred to me that people were pronouncing in different ways. I say, now that I'm like looking at it, I'm like, what do I say? But I say Omicron, which I think is what you say instead of. Probably because you've heard me say it a thousand times. Perhaps. Yes. That's, that's likely a Canadian influence there. (laughs) I have not picked up avocado correctly though. So Um, I am curious to talk about what makes it different. There was so much postulation Um, I know, I think we mentioned it on the Patreon when it was first coming around out of South Africa and the lack of information. What do we know now about the difference between Omicron and Delta or other variants? Yeah, what's fascinating about it is just the sheer number of genetic mutations that it has acquired compared to any of the other variants of concern that we've been dealing with over the last year and a half or so. So the Omicron variant has about 50 genetic mutations, 36 of which are on the spike protein, which is just so many millions of times, not millions of times, obviously, but a lot more than the other variants. Um, The other variants typically had three to 10 mutations compared to the original. We called the original. uh, You'll hear some people say the original like Wuhan a virus, um, the technical term for it is wild type. So wild type is what we would call the original, and that will be my default terminology since that comes out of my training uh, during my PhD. Um, but yeah, 50, 50 different mutations. And we discussed the implication of all the mutations when we talked about um, Delta. Not going to do that for, for Omicron simply because... Um, just talking through what 50 different mutations are likely to do doesn't sound interesting to me. And I, I imagine it's not going to be that interesting for most of our listeners, but the, the end result is it is this combination of different mutations that make this virus not as compatible with the, uh, antibodies that our bodies make, whether we learned how to make antibodies from vaccination or prior infection with a different variant or both. So our current immunity, uh, we don't make a ton of neutralizing antibodies against the Omicron. So it's allowed to escape our immune system. It's called immune escape. Basically, it means uh, it it can get this really crazy head start before even a well- trained immune system that's been fully vaccinated, say, can actually mount 
a response. We are going to talk about how the vaccines are very protective against severe disease and death. So I don't want to give the impression that the vaccines are useless. They absolutely or are not. They're incredibly protective against the things that actually matter with Omicron. But that's why we're seeing this incredible increase in symptomatic infection. And then it also has all of the same mutations or a lot of the same mutations that mean it binds to receptors really well, it divides really efficiently inside the cell, viral loads are really high, um, and in a way that's actually very similar to Delta. What I think is really interesting is the new science that is trying to figure out where Omicron came from. Because when you look at the mutations, they have got these really complex maps that are just super cool um, that show the lineage of the different variants. And so you can see branches where, you know, one came from another, came from another. And so you can see, right, um, like Kappa and Delta are on the same, are on the same branch, right? So you can, you can see this progression of one virus accumulating mutations. And on average, these um, these viruses are accumulating a little bit less than half a mutation per month. So on average, they're accumulating 0.45 mutations per month. Um, so we've talked on the show before about this being actually a fairly slow uh, virus in terms of accumulating mutations, especially when you compare it against something like influenza. But the reason why we've got a new variant of concern every few months is because of just how many opportunities the novel coronavirus has to mutate given that it is novel. It is something that this is the first time in human history we've ever seen a virus like this. So it basically arrived on a planet with 8 billion people who were completely susceptible. So it's just had so many opportunities to mutate. That's why we've been seeing these variants of concern pop up again sort of every four to five months. But Omicron has again, this huge number of mutations that doesn't fit that same pattern. So if you just calculate, you know, time since the wild type emerged in uh, late 2019, it's been accumulating about one and a half mutations per month. So a little over three times more mutations per amount of time. And so what researchers have actually done is sort of look at this rapid accumulation of mutations as well as the exact mutations. And um, there's a, a really interesting new study. And again, as a reminder for our listeners, we always put links to all of the studies I talk about on the show um, or that Stacey talks about on the show in, in the show notes. So if you want to go read the studies for yourself, they're always there. They're always linked. Um, but they're the, the newest and sort of best evidence for where this came from was actually host species jumping. And the most likely species that Omicron learned all these mutations in was mice. Um, and it makes a lot of sense given uh, how... Uh, rapid these mutations are that were accumulated. It explains um, the lineage. It explains why the most similar strain to Omicron is actually the original, not Delta, right? And it, given that Delta was the dominant strain globally before Omicron, um, it that's kind of a weird thing unless you have something like host species jumping. And that this, actually, this, this data, it fits better than the original hypothesis of the virus incubating in an immunocompromised individual, in a, in a human. So uh, just as a 
interesting thing, one of the things that we've learned about SARS-CoV-2 over the last couple of years is that uh, it has been able to, to infect species other than humans with varying levels of severity. So uh, it looks like Omicron jumped into mice and then jumped back into humans, um, probably in Africa, which is why it was initially um, identified there, but not necessarily. Um, so it's an interesting, where did it come from? Probably do we, mice. Do we know more about what animals are susceptible? Like, I'm just thinking about pets. Uh, yeah, so cats and dogs can definitely get it. Cats seem to get uh, it worse um, than dogs. Dogs seem to have pretty mild cases. It looks like dogs can catch it from, and cats can catch it from us, but we can't necessarily catch it from them. So hmm. don't worry about sticking a mask on your dog when you go for a walk and they <laughs> interact with your neighbor's dog. That's that's not, that's not a, a thing. But there have been a lot of um, cases of animals in zoos, getting COVID and testing positive. Um, there have been some uh, sort of farmed animals um, that have been of concern. There was a, what was it, like minks or something like that that was a, a big thing last year that um, a lot of concern of, of them getting COVID. It was, minks, it was some animal that was raised for fur. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure if I remember that correctly. But yeah, our pets can definitely get COVID. Uh, it tends to be very mild for them. Wild cats get it worse than domesticated cats for some reason. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, so don't don't worry about catching it from your pet. Uh, but if you if you get COVID and your pets seem like they're not feeling well, they might they might legit not be. Today's podcast is sponsored by Anna Luisa. That's spelled. A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. It is a sustainable jewelry brand. I know we both have been loving and I'm super stoked that they're offering up to 40% off. Anna Luisa believes high quality jewelry shouldn't cost you or the planet. That's quality jewelry starting at just $39. Finding a jewelry brand that is certified carbon neutral, uses recycled materials and wears like luxury is pure gold. I'm shocked you found a pun. <laughs> but seriously, finding high quality jewelry that is ethical and good for our planet means we can feel good about wearing it. I've been overhauling my jewelry collection for a few years, replacing everything with high quality because of a nickel allergy. So a 40% discount definitely fits everything I'm looking for. Plus, I love how they release new collections every Friday. I love mine too. I've actually been wearing them 24-7. I've been wearing the Tota, the Suzanne, and the Suzanne Medium all together because I, between both years, I have six piercings. They look so pretty. They're all slightly different loops. Um, the Tota is actually a double loop and the Suzanne and the Suzanne Medium are single loops, but they all have cubic zirconia down the front edge. So it means that they're simple, comfortable to wear even for sleeping but like sparkly and beautiful. And I definitely recommend buying those three together. And I have been wearing my Hannah collage hoop earrings almost every day as well. Um, I think they're like a Matisse painting. They're the perfect size. They go with everything. They're super comfortable and don't irritate me at all, which is very important and tells me that it's quality. Um, and I gifted kiddo a stacking necklace set and they loved it. So... 
And I love how affordable these pieces are too, even gemstones and diamonds. The pieces are timeless, chic enough for every day or conscious luxury you can dress up. Isn't 2022 the year of treating yourself? Yes. I think it yes, needs it is. to be. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get yourself and your loved ones the perfect gift with up to 40% off. Check out Anna Luisa at shop.analuisa.com slash whole view. I know you'll love them. I think the question that we all have is why? And how (laughs) is this so contagious? What's going on? Yeah, it's crazy contagious. It may be the, well, it's at least, it's at the very least, it's the second most contagious virus ever at the very least. Um, And it, there are some places in the world where it appears to actually be more contagious than measles. Measles being the high, like the highest uh, reproductive number virus. Um, so reproductive number, uh, also called R naught, which is written as a capital R and a zero, is a measure of, on average, how many people one infected person will infect. And so there's a lot of things that go into the R naught, right? So population immunity is is part of that. Um, human behavior, right? How many parties are we having is obviously part of that. Um, so it's just a, it's a, and then how actually infectious the virus is, right? So viral load, uh, what um, minimum amount of viral particles are sufficient to get you infected, right? So there's a lot of things that go into the reproduction number, but it is a really st- standard measurement in virology of how contagious something is. And again, as we talked about on the top of the show, data is continuing to evolve. But to give you the numbers that we kind of have at the moment, the original strain of the novel coronavirus had an R naught of 2.5, and the Delta variant had an R naught of about 7. So that is how much more contagious Delta was compared to the wild type uh, coronavirus. The current data, again, it's sort of different out of different places. In the UK, the estimation of the R-naught of Omicron is about 10. Uh, There's data out of Thailand and India that put the R-naught somewhere between 8 and 15. And again, to compare, the R-naught of measles in an unvaccinated population is between 15 and 18. So tied or maybe second most contagious virus ever. Uh, so again, we'll, you know, more data will, will help to solidify this number, but, um, yeah, it's, that's really crazy. And then this has been, you know, further supported by other ways of looking at transmissibility. So how easy is it for one person who's infected to give it to somebody else? Um, there was a, a really well-designed study done in Denmark where they looked at the likelihood of someone spreading, like someone in the household having it, spreading it to other members of the household. And they compared Omicron Omicron to Delta and showed that uh, Omicron was between 2.7 to 3.7 times more infectious than Delta, which aligns with the estimates of R-naughts. But what's really fascinating was they didn't see that big difference in 
unvaccinated people. They saw that big difference in vaccinated people. So in vaccinated people, something like three, three and a half times more contagious than Delta, but in unvaccinated, they were both just really, really contagious. And that data implies that this increase in transmissibility has more to do with immune escape than something like viral load. And that's actually confirmed by other studies that have been done now. So there was um, a study that looked at the aerosols being produced by mildly symptomatic breakthrough infections of Omicron. It was just five individuals. Uh, so again, these are <laughs> we're in a, a period of time where the science is having a hard time keeping up with the spread in terms of understanding exactly all of the mechanisms behind what we're actually seeing in terms of infection and outcome. Um, but this, this study certainly helps to us to understand. And what they showed was they, they, again, they did the same type of study where you talk and then you sing and then you shout, right? Like measuring how the aerosol particles spread. And what was really interesting was that they showed that the viral shedding, again, in mild symptomatic breakthrough infections was pretty similar to other variants. So it didn't look like the increase in r naught was due to somebody just like spewing way more viral particles out of their face. Um, that was... That was definitely the most snarky way I could have I could have framed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't look like it's an increase in viral particles. Uh, you know, there was a lot. It was sort of similar to Delta, where Delta was um, a, a pretty stark increase in viral load compared to to previous variants. Um, but it didn't look like it was much more than Delta. So that wasn't a very good explanation. Um, and this has been uh, shown in other studies looking at uh, comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals. Um, so very interestingly, the number of RNA genome copies are comparable between them, but vaccinated individuals sort of had a lower what's called uh, infectious viral load and cleared the virus faster. So it looks like it is, again, sort of this immune escape. So um, it basically showed that vaccinated individuals with Omicron infection had sort of comparable um, infectious viral loads compared to the Delta breakthrough infections. And that was what made Delta so different, right, compared to Alpha or Beta, which we, we Alpha was the dominant strain um, in America before Delta came along, um, was that breakthrough infections were contagious, right? That was the big thing that sort of changed, right? We had this couple of months after the vaccine rollout where we had, oh, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear masks. Delta came along and, we, and uh, that guidance was, was changed and it was actually, masks were really good still. Um, and that's because we can see that with Delta breakthrough infections are about similarly contagious to natural infections in somebody who's unvaccinated or not fully vaccinated. And that appears to be the same with Omicron. Um, so looking at, at that, um, you know, we're seeing that in a 
unvaccinated person versus a vaccinated person, there's not a huge difference in how much virus that person is shedding. So again, this all builds this picture that points to immune escape. And the reason why Omicron is able to escape our immune system is just because it's that different. It's because of those 50 different mutations. Um, it's just a, a very, a very different looking virus. So depending I, on, yeah. I, so you said some really great things there that I just kind of want to make sure that as a lay person, I'm understanding and mm -hmm. also for implementation purposes. So I know from previous ones that we've talked about that one of the benefits of a vaccine is the hope of reduced viral load, meaning the amount of particles in a virus that is in the aerosols when you're talking to somebody else. If you did have it, hopefully you would be spreading less. But I hear you saying that in Omicron, similar to Delta, that that is not the case, that we're seeing Correct. the same load, which means even if you're vaccinated, you could have Omicron be asymptomatic, and if you're not wearing a mask, could be shedding particles to other people. Correct. Okay. Basically, what this has done is it's so, again, we want to say the vaccinations are very protective against uh, moderate to severe disease and death. Um, and we're going to talk about, you know, the data looking at whether or not Omicron is actually milder versus whether or not we're just looking at a high level of protection of severe disease from either previous infection or vaccination, because I think that's really easy, really interesting to parse out. But the reason why we're seeing this spread is because a vaccinated person, even though statistically they're going to have a milder infection or an asymptomatic infection, even though they're protected uh, at a very high level from very bad outcomes from Omicron, they are a vector. So they are still able to spread Omicron. And um, the, you know, basically what the, the studies have shown is that what used to be called fully vaccinated, which is probably a term that is going to change its definition over the next uh, six months or so, um, right? It used to, used to be considered fully vaccinated if you had two shots. And, and while technically that's still true, Omicron's really changing what that means in practice because you have almost no protection against symptomatic infection. You have still protection against severe bad badness outcomes. So the vaccines are still doing the most important thing. I want to emphasize again, the vaccines are still doing their job. They're still working, right? The most important thing about these vaccines is to protect, protect against hospitalization and death from, from these uh, different variants of concern. They're still doing that with Omicron. Um, but the chances of you getting a symptomatic infection and feeling really crummy for a few days and being contagious and able to spread it to other people if you've only had two shots of an mRNA vaccine or one shot of a adenovirus-based vaccine is, uh, is basically the same as if you were unvaccinated. The difference is in the severe outcomes. The vaccines are still protecting against those. Y'all, 
This podcast is sponsored by Audible, which lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. If you don't know, we're jazz hands excited geeked out about this because we use the app all the time and new members get to try Audible free for 30 days. I cannot even begin to tell you how many books I've read through Audible, uh, like books, couple books a month for 10 years, something like that. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, anything you can think of. And I actually put an Instagram highlight up with reviews of the audiobooks that I read in 2021. I genuinely thought to myself, like, oh, I don't read that much. But with Audible, looking back, I actually read 18 books last year, some educational and some just pure fun. You know I love me some dystopian teen lit and everything by Diana Gabaldon. And Audible is how I listen when I'm driving, cooking dinner, working in the garden. It's honestly magic for multitasking, but in a good way. And it was Matt that actually got me hooked. I know exactly how long it's been because I went, Audible has like this um, stats section. So it would be interesting to see, Sarah, how much you read. Uh, years ago, he worked in a bookstore and we spent a ton of money on CD sets of books to listen to on car rides together. We love like road trips. And so I was curious, like how long it's been. He has been a member since 2012, 10 years. And um, he explained to me at that time that we no longer had to purchase all of these like huge CD sets. Yeah, I realize how this is aging me to talk about this. <laughs> um, but he like, was like, it's more eco-friendly and it's just right here. And Okay, we tried it, and now we got hooked. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. We have read, ready for it, 246 titles in our decade of Audible membership. Wow. Uh, that is probably more than me, but probably not by much. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere, while traveling, working out, walking, doing chores, you decide. They also have guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, comedy, and the Audible originals. Visit audible.com slash whole view or text whole view to 500, 500 Technology has come a long way since your audiobook CDs and actually my audiobook CDs that we used to <laughs> listen to on road trips. It's super cool that you can simply text whole view to 500-500 and get your free trial set up that way. I'm curious about the incubation period, especially because one of the things that we hear is if you can find a test, which where I live, the um, positive rate is actually like 35%. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you, we can't, it, to get a test somewhere is like a minimum three-day wait and all of the at-home tests are completely sold out. Uh, we, we've tried multiple times to even just have them here in case we need mm -hmm. them. And like, it's impossible to find right now. So I think what is interesting though, is those at home tests are less effective 
And yes. it, there's also this whole, like, you need an algebra degree to figure out when they're most likely to tell you the correct response and, like, correct. based on the yes. incubation period. So maybe you could uh, give us the help us understand the algebraic equation. Yes. Uh, so the incubation period for Omicron is the fastest of any uh, novel coronavirus variant that we have seen to date. And it's incredibly fast for respiratory viruses in general. Um, and that has definitely changed the math on when to get tested if you have been determined a close contact. Um, so the uh, original variant was sort of five, five to six days. Uh, Delta was like, wow, look at how much, how much shorter the time is between when you are exposed to the virus and when you start getting sick from the virus. So with Delta, it was 4.3 days. Uh, the new data on Omicron uh, puts the average at about three days. But there was a, a CDC study that looked at this in depth and showed the range was between 33 and 75 hours. Uh, so 33 hours is really not very long between when you're exposed to something. And especially when you consider that we're most contagious in the 48 hours before we start experiencing symptoms. So, I mean, obviously it's not 48 hours if you had a 33 hour incubation period, you're not contagious before you were exposed, but it just shows like just how crazy fast uh, it goes from exposed to now you are exposing others before you have symptoms. It just uh, like, insane, just lightning fast. And that's, again, attributable to all of these different mutations that allow Omicron to get into our cells uh, more easily and then reproduce itself more quickly, um, as well as some really interesting um, differences in where Omicron wants to be in the human body, which we'll definitely talk about in a bit. But the, the reason why uh, it can be really hard to figure out when to test. I mean, the current guidelines are if you have symptoms, you can test immediately. The at-home tests are most accurate between about days three and five. And definitely there are some brands that are more accurate than others and finding which ones are, like finding a list of which ones have what sensitivity Um is really impossible. So, uh, cause nobody wants to sit there and diss somebody's tests and get sued, I guess. I'm not quite sure. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out which are the best tests. And I think it's really hard to find out. Um, so, uh, I would say whatever tests you can get a hold of are good. Um, I think what's helpful to know if you're doing a lateral flow test at home is that if it's positive, it's positive. So they have very, very high specificity and not awesome sensitivity. So if it's negative and all of the symptoms look like Omicron, which I guess means we should talk about what the symptoms are, then um, it's it, that's why the recommendation is to test on several subsequent days um, to try to, to catch a high enough viral load that that test is um, churning out a, a more accurate result. Um, and when in doubt, you know, seek the PCR test because they are 
um, much, much, much more sensitive than the lateral flow tests. Um, but the lateral flow tests are still right, very, very convenient. And if it's positive, it's positive. So uh, I think I definitely have a have lateral flow tests at home um, to use when when someone's sick, and then we check. Um, but if it's negative, we still go find a PCR test to be sure. So that's that's how we're working. All right, you mentioned symptoms, and this is definitely interesting for me because I know that as the variants have come on, the list of symptoms just keeps getting longer and longer. <laughs> and it's really important to know that something as simple as a headache could be a reason to test, right? So maybe we can walk through... If there's any way to know in that like early period where you're starting to feel a little crummy, but you're not really sure if you're sick or not, that's the time at which you really need to be paying attention to who you're around and staying home and and all that kind of stuff. Um, What does that timeline look like and what are the symptoms as they uh, become, as as Omicron stays in your system longer? I, I don't quite know the word for that. Yeah. So what's really interesting about Omicron is that it is vastly more effective at reproducing itself in our upper airways. So it is 70 times faster at reproducing itself in upper 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 airways. So think right sinuses, uh, bronchus, right the 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 big the big tubes in the lung right um so those are where omicron is so so fast right that's what makes it have such a shorter incubation period um and actually we're going to talk again in a little bit about whether or not it truly is milder versus um some protection from from vaccination and natural infection uh, and the spoiler is yes, <laughs> it's actually a little bit of both. Um, and that has to do with the fact that Omicron replicates 10 times more slowly in lung tissues. So um, it's incredibly good at replicating itself in the upper airways, which is why the symptoms can look, especially with breakthrough infections, look more like a cold. And there's a variety of data now um, from both America and from the UK showing that at least now, more than half of all colds are almost certainly COVID, uh, almost certainly Omicron right now. Um, So if you have cold-like symptoms, it's important to get tested and not just go, oh, it's a cold or, oh, it's my allergies acting up um, if you have those types of symptoms. So according to the COVID symptom tracker, tracker, which is uh, UK-based, um, the most common symptom is runny nose. That occurs in 73% of people uh, infected with the Omicron variant. Headache in 68%. Fatigue, anywhere from mild to severe, in 64%. Sneezing, 60%. Sore throat, 60%. So those are the five most common symptoms. And Omicron is very often presenting as a sore throat and a headache uh, with maybe some fatigue. So something that you might have thought was maybe strep could be Omicron. So again, uh, headache and sore throat, 
you don't need to have those other classic symptoms of COVID-19 to go out and get a COVID test. Um, and actually, we're seeing with Omicron some of those symptoms that felt like they defined a, a COVID-19 infection are actually occurring at much lower um incidences than they did with previous variants of concern. So persistent cough is only in 44%, a hoarse voice in 36%, chills or shivers in 30%, fever is only in 29%, dizziness in 28%, brain fog in 24%, altered smell in 23%, eye soreness or something like conjunctivitis in 23%, unusual muscle pains in 23%, although interestingly, this was higher in South Africa when they first identified Omicron, uh, skipping meals due to reduced hunger or feeling kind of queasy, nausea, 21%, loss of smell, which was the defining feature of the original virus, is only 19% of people with Omicron infections. Chest pain in 19%, swollen glands in 19%, uh, feeling down, depressed in 16%, and some other of the probably 20 other symptoms that have been identified. All of the other symptoms you still can get with Omicron, and altogether they uh, affect about 36%. So um, all of the other weird, like COVID toe and losing hair and all of these other things that, that can happen, um, you know, changes to taste, that, that all of those other things together is 36%. So again, this is UK data. They've, they've just got the best, um, the best symptom tracker in the world right now. And um, certainly from a, a epidemiology perspective, perspective, um, their population is not all that different from uh, our population. So it's probably it's probably one-to-one -one directly applicable. So it's really interesting that loss of smell and taste have become so much less common with Omicron. Um, so, you know, if with every other variant, it was in the top 10 symptoms and, you know, now it's it's way down there, so um, with only one in five people experiencing it. So that is no longer the thing that makes you go, aha. I mean, if you have it, yes, aha, you, I have COVID. Um, but this is why it's so important to pay attention to cold-like symptoms, because that's how Omicron is presenting. It's presenting very much like a cold. It can get really miserable and really intense after that. Um, but your initial symptoms um, are are going to be easier to um, to just explain away with with something not COVID. Um, so so listeners, you know better. Don't do that. Go get tested if you can find a test. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the other thing that I'm hearing a lot of is and also worries me, but we'll get there. Um, well, Omicron is milder, so it's not a big deal. And I'll be the first to say before you jump into, is it milder? Um, as someone who had a very mild case of not Omicron early, early on, and has been dealing with long hauler symptoms since, Mm -hmm. This is not something to mess around with. And we don't understand yet 
what are the long-term implications? We can see that the earlier variants are affecting a significant portion of the population in terms of effects that aren't related to death, right? I think a lot of times we quantify in did they die or not? And when we talk about things like stroke and increased risk of heart attack and, you know, brain fog or loss of limb or all of these different kinds of things that we're seeing from long haulers, I just want to like emphasize as we go into whether or not Omicron is milder, um, one of the first things that I say when I hear people in my real life talk about, well, if I get you know, we're all going to get it. So if we're going to get it, at least it's Omicron and it's not going to be that bad. And like, or we could just continue to make efforts to try to not get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that the word mild is really doing us a disservice in talking about Omicron because we use mild to talk about harmless things, right? Uh, the seasoning is very mild, right? It's not spicy. Uh, oh, the weather today is so mild, right? It's lovely. It's not too hot. It's not too cold, right? We use the term mild in our day-to-day -day lexicon to denote something harmless. And that's not the right terminology here when we're talking about the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, it is less likely to cause moderate to severe disease and death. But it still does cause moderate to severe disease and death in a large number of people. And of course, one of the things that's happening right now is hospitals, uh, I mean, across the globe, certainly here in America, are completely strained, overwhelmed. We have the highest number of hospitalizations uh, of people with COVID-19 of any time during the pandemic. And um, there's been, I've seen a lot of news stories saying, oh, well, that's, that's mostly just people who happen to have COVID-19, but they're actually in the hospital for some other reason. It's, that's a, also another way that using the term mild is doing us a disservice because um, while certainly there are some people who broke their leg and then happened to test positive when they went into the hospital, that is an incredibly small percentage of the overall data. And most of the people who are in the hospital with COVID-19, they're either there because of COVID-19, because they're having severe disease and require hospital care. Um, and the, all of the, you know, all of the potential bad things that come with that, or they have comorbidities that have been incredibly aggravated by COVID-19. It is the combination of both things that put that person in the hospital. They would not be in the hospital but for the COVID-19 infection. So I think that is still something to, to understand to, about, uh, about COVID-19 is it can be a tipping point as well um, for somebody who is um, struggling with other health issues. So... Let's look at the data on this term mild and know that if I ever accidentally slip up and actually use the term mild, I mean lower frequency of severe disease and death. I do not mean, oh, it's just a cold. Certainly for people, especially who are boosted, they are more likely to have um, mild symptoms. However, as a general rule, Omicron is not a mild disease. 
So looking at uh, some of the initial data out of South Africa, the, the earliest assessment was that Omicron had about a 70% lower odds of severe disease compared with Delta. However, this um, decrease could be explained by a high level of population immunity. And this earliest data was unable to separate out um, unvaccinated versus vaccinated versus people who had had an infection with a previous variant of uh, SARS-CoV-2 versus people who hadn't. So looking at uh, some data closer to home, there was a, an excellent paper, it's a preprint, um, out of Houston, Texas. Um, they did not separately analyze based on vaccine status, but this is still really interesting data to look at. So they compared Omicron uh, hospitalization and then like what happened in the hospital to both alpha, uh, which was sort of the original variant that we were dealing with before Delta came along. And they also compared Omicron to Delta. So in terms of being admitted to the hospital, they had 14.7%. Um, so these are people who uh, came into the system with symptoms and were tested. Um, so this is not capturing people who had very, you know, mild enough disease that they weren't going to go see a doctor to get uh, a test. So 14.7 ended up being admitted compared to 54.5% for alpha and 43.8% for delta. On average, they spent fewer days in the hospital. So with Omicron, it was three days in the hospital compared to over five for alpha and for delta. Uh, about the same, actually slightly higher percentage required ECMO, uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. So that's basically when they put you on like a bypass machine and directly oxygenate your blood. So 0.5% with Omicron compared to 0.4% for alpha and 0.3% for delta. Mechanical ventilation was less, 5.2% with Omicron compared to 8.4% with alpha and 10.7% with delta. Non-invasive ventilation, uh, was a little bit less, 8.3% with Omicron compared to 9.5% for alpha and, and delta. High flow oxygen, much lower, 9.3% for Omicron compared to 21% for alpha, 26% for delta. Low flow O2, 31.9, let's just round that up to 32% for Omicron compared to 42% for alpha and 34% for delta. And death was much lower, 0.8% for Omicron, versus 5.4% for alpha and 5.3% for delta. But as I said, going into all of these percentages is that um, we don't know how much of this protection is from vaccination. So uh, over half of the people were vaccinated um, out of their initial group in the Omicron um, part of the study. Only 3% were vaccinated in the alpha arm of the study because alpha, of course, was dominant before the vaccines came along. And about a quarter were, were uh, vaccinated in Delta. And they this study did not actually differentiate the data based on vaccination status or previous infections. So uh, again, one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to read out those numbers is because they're not zero. Um, you know, yes, 0.8% death from Omicron um, is is much lower than 5.4%. Uh, this is case fatality rate, obviously, rather than uh, total mortality rate. Those are different things because this is based on people who are diagnosed, not total number of people who get it. Um, but 
given that half of those people were vaccinated, it's very likely that is protection from the vaccination more so than anything inherent to Omicron. But there's more interesting data to get into. So there was another uh, study uh, performed in Southern California, um, which uh, compared Omicron to Delta. And they found that uh, the Omicron infections were associated with uh, a 52% reduction in hospitalization, a 74% reduction in ICU admission, and a 91% reduction in mortality compared to Delta. The uh, people stayed in the hospital a shorter amount of time, again, more like three days compared to five days or six days on average. Um, and they were able to do some, uh, they were not, again, again, not able to do a um, differentiation based on vaccination status. So they had um, unvaccinated was about half of their sample for the Delta variant, but unvaccinated was only 26.6% with Omicron. So again, we still don't know how much of this is Omicron itself versus protection from vaccination or previous infection. So now we get into some of the data that does able to do a little bit of differentiation. So in a more recent study out of South Africa, uh, they found about 8% of people were hospitalized or died within 14 days of being diagnosed with the Omicron uh, variant compared to 16.5% prior to Omicron. And they were able to uh, factor in prior infections and vaccination and showed there was a 25% lower risk of dying from Omicron compared to the other variants. Um, they were also able to adjust for vaccination status 25% when we're comparing to Delta, which was more deadly than the original wild type, actually puts Omicron at a similar risk profile to the original wild type virus. And that's what I think, you know, again, these studies that have been able to really differentiate based on uh, previous immunity, whether that's through vaccination or infection or both, are um, not showing as big a difference between Omicron and Delta compared to the studies that aren't able to differentiate that. Um, there was another study that was similar from the UK that was able to uh, look at vaccination status um, and was able to look at whether or not people had a reinfection um, and were able to account for those and actually were able to show that the risk of hospital admission was only about one third um, of Delta. So again, looking at all of those those different um, effects. So overall, um, hospitalization much lower, maybe seventy percent lower. Risk of death maybe twenty five percent lower. It actually puts Omicron in terms of risk of severe disease much more similar to the wild type original uh, COVID-19 that we were dealing with in early 2020. However, it also emphasizes how much protection we're getting from the vaccination, especially from a booster. So this is really important to emphasize that um, when we call Omicron milder, yes, it certainly does take longer to infect 
the lungs. And because of that, our immune systems have more ability to ramp up an immune response. So fewer people are going to get COVID pneumonia. Fewer people are going to need uh, mechanical ventilation uh, compared to Delta or Alpha or Beta variants that were more severe than the wild type. Um, however, um, I think it's really important to understand that it's not, that Omicron is certainly, certainly has lower risk of hospitalization and death in unvaccinated populations, way lower in vaccinated populations because the vaccines are still being very protective. But the bigger thing behind the sort of uncoupling of the high case rates that we're seeing right now in America, actually globally, and the fact that, yes, hospitalizations are at, what, 150, 556,000 people, something like that right now, which is higher than any other point that it has been during the pandemic, but it's not three times higher than the the wave um, in January 2021, uh, where, you know, that was much more tied to the daily infections. And we're also not seeing the deaths be three times higher either. Um, it's still about a couple thousand people a day. It's, it's still a infection that we want to try to avoid, try to protect ourselves from. Um, and the good news is the vaccines are doing the thing that's most important that they do. Um, so Omicron, does have a slightly lower risk of severe disease and death, but it's not mild. Mild is not the right word for it at all. This podcast is sponsored by Lumino, the first ever dentist-formulated, naturally-derived, clinically-tested, and certified non-toxic oral care company in the world. So, Stacy, I remember when we first heard about them, I think they're pronounced Lumino. Lumineux, like the French word for illumination ah. and sparkle, like like what they do to our teeth. You're um, so clever. I know, I know. Uh, but we don't actually know how they want us to pronounce it. It doesn't matter because when we looked at the ingredients, we were like, yes, this is awesome. Yes, I think they read our minds uh, with formulas for toothpaste, mouthwash, and whitening products that actually help your oral health instead of hurting it. They use purposeful and uncompromising ingredients like sea salt, aloe, and coconut oil to clean and brighten your smile. Plus, everything they make is certified non-toxic. I'm going to read that again. Certified non-toxic because all nine of Oral Essentials products, even their whitening strips that only take 30 minutes and are safe to use for sensitive teeth are certified and they even have a kids line and a microbiome line. I am so excited to share about this because not only were these products designed to neutralize the toxins responsible for infection and disease in your mouth without harming the balance of your body's first line of defense, the microbiome, they're also clinically proven to neutralize the exotoxin glucosucrase enzyme from streptococcus mutants, which is responsible for tooth decay, all without killing the bacteria itself, thus rendering it ineffective. And they even did a clinical study to prove that using the clean and fresh mouthwash significantly reduced markers of inflammation in those with gingivitis. 
I love finding safer products that still work and admit that I totally geeked out on their science clinical studies. I got lost in a little black hole reading um, all of them that are posted. I'm big on testing and can see their commitment to safety. I legit genuinely feel safer and happier for my family's health switching to Lumino. Is that, is that <laughs> Lumino? Is that what we're going with? Yes. Lumi- your French Canadian is better than mine, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, I know you will love Lumina, and you can get 15% off your order today by going to getlumina.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview. I'm going to spell it for you because the debate, um, that's G-E-T-L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X dot com slash wholeview, code wholeview to save 15%. Get Lunia, I don't know, dot com <laughs> slash whole view. I think one of the things that I love is that you moved us into positive of there's there's good news and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you run with that ball in a moment. But I do want to take the opportunity just to remind people that if you have chosen to not get the vaccine for, you know, personal health reasons, doctor recommendations, whatever it might be, that telling yourself, well, Omicron is, I'm using quotation marks because I, I learned this from Sarah, more mild, <laughs> right? And therefore, of all the variants, this is the one I want to get. And so I'm going to intentionally expose myself or um, not make a significant effort to not try to expose myself and um I'm I'm just kind of over this whole thing it's been two years I'm ready to move on like if any of those things are floating around first of all you're not alone everyone is feeling those things um we're all over it you're not alone but I want to remind you that this is not just a cold and that even if you have a runny nose and a headache and, you know, things taste a little weird for a week. And then you're tired and your muscles ache, but everything's fine and you move on. Even if you had like the most mild of cases, which was my personal experience and we talked about it in the show, you can go back and listen to that show where we talked about what it was like for us timeline wise. I have a blog post about it, all that kind of stuff. I am still a year and a half later, working on getting my health back to where it was beforehand. And it is still difficult for me to do any sort of exercise because of the difficulty I have with breathing. I have worries that keep me up at night about the damage that's been done to my brain or my heart. And am I ever going to feel healthy again? And, you know, what is this going to do to me long term? And, you know, yada, yada, yada. None of that is good. (laughs) None none of that is great. And it's not to like scare people. We've talked about this before and we'll get more into detail on it in the next show. But it's just, it's really, it's like a slap in the face to me personally to hear people talk about like, well, I might as well just expose myself or what's the point in even trying? Because it's like 
my words of this is awful aren't respected, right? Like me telling you, you don't want this. You know, the the brain fog and the muscle soreness and the fatigue that you felt after you got a booster, for example, is that something that you want to come in waves or to be something that lives with you frequently? Because it is now you're eligible for disability if you have diagnosed um, long haulers. It's it, yeah. it's a real thing. And I'm worried that people don't realize that you could be a healthy person and have a mild case and have all of this for a very long time or the rest of your life. And we don't know. And it's just to me, like, hear me, learn from my lesson. <laughs> like, it's not great. Please hear my words. It's not great. And we're going to talk in more depth about long haulers as well as other sequelae, which is uh, one of my favorite biology words. Uh, It means things that can happen as a result of um, of COVID-19 next week, because I think it's really important to go into all of that data as we talk about uh, wanting to take steps to try to not catch Omicron. And yes, Omicron is likely to become endemic. Um, But also be aware that hospitals are really strained. So if you're out there trying to get it now, A. Or someone you know. I mean, I'm I'm going to hope that our listeners are are more um, educated. There's there's a couple of different things to consider. So, So one is long haulers, which has been documented even from asymptomatic infections. Um, and uh, has been documented uh, from breakthrough infections, which we've already talked on the show before. The rate is lower from breakthrough infections, um, but it's still, you know, in the, let's say, 8 to 10% range as opposed to 30 to 50% range, which is good. But when uh, when Omicron has a much higher rate of breakthrough infections and when it's surging this way, I mean, there are still... Um, public health officials who are sort of sounding the alarm saying we're about to get hit with this wave of, of long haulers and what is that going to do to the healthcare system, to the economy? It, it could be terrible. And even if that's not something that you're worried about, personally, think about being a vector, thinking about who you could give it to who uh, maybe doesn't have uh, as strong an immune system as you do. Um, so think about the community. Think about Um, think about that aspect of it. And also know that there are better tools right around the corner. It is not the best time to get COVID-19. I would argue there's probably never a best time, but there are antivirals that are ramping up production that are very effective. Um, There are tons of scientists studying long haulers and trying to understand it. Again, we're going to talk about how long haulers is actually probably a combination of three different things next week. Um, and we're going to get into that, that data in more detail, but for now, the quick answer is, um, it's not a thing to, to go out and seek. Um, but if you get it, we're, you know, again, that's what we're going to talk about next week is how to prepare. So not just how to protect yourself, but what to do, what to have on hand, what to do if you do get it, because I don't want, any of our listeners to also feel fear or anxiety if they do get it. Um, Again, because Omicron is so contagious and it's likely to be endemic, um, that that means that um, zero exposure is is getting harder and harder to achieve, right? So 
I also don't want our listeners to feel, um, to feel anxiety or fear or feel like they failed if they do get it. Um, but I think it's important to still take precautions that means avoiding large indoor gatherings where people aren't wearing masks. It means upgrading to N95s or KN95 masks if possible. And it means vaccines and boosters, which, so the best things that you can do to protect yourself is uh, avoid large indoor gatherings, especially ones where not everyone's wearing a mask, uh, but also upgrade to an N95 or KN95 mask that have the, the highest um, filtration efficacies that, that we can get a hold of. We don't have the supply chain issues that we had at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, they are uh, much easier to get a hold of now. So definitely that. And Let's wrap up this conversation looking at vaccines and boosters. We talked about boosters, actually, funnily enough, just as Omicron was, was first being identified. Um, and so we'll link back to that podcast because that's where we went through all of the details on the safety, the efficacy, the side effect profile, all of those things. So uh, we covered boosters extensively on the show. So I don't want to like reiterate all of that data, but instead talk about specifically how important the booster is for protection against Omicron. So we have uh, some data out of the UK showing that, again, two doses is still great. Um, so they showed that anyone who'd received two doses had a 65% lower risk of being admitted to the hospital compared to those who did not receive any vaccination, but three doses was 81% lower. Um, and very importantly, again, right, three doses meant that the risk was very similar between Omicron and Delta, whereas one or two doses is where you really see that difference. So uh, one dose of the vaccine basically didn't change the risk of hospitalization at all with Omicron, whereas it did actually reduce by 58% with Delta. And uh, two doses reduced the risk of hospitalization by 65% with Omicron, whereas it did by 82% with Delta. So then again, by the time you have the booster, now you're starting to see very comparable levels of, of risk. So that's, that's good news for the booster. Um, there was data from Scotland that showed that uh, a booster was associated with a 57% reduction in symptomatic Omicron uh, infection relative to getting uh, just two doses. So that's also excellent rationale for, for the booster. Um, and then there's um, also studies looking at the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that were able to, they, they were actually looking at blood samples and looking at the amount of neutralizing antibodies. Uh, they actually did this with a pseudovirus, which is one of, one of the reasons why this study has data that's available already because the pseudoviruses um, are only only require level three labs instead of level four labs. So, because they're so much safer, you don't have to worry about the virus like infecting somebody if they accidentally have a hole in their glove. So, what was really interesting was that they detected very little neutralization of Omicron when they used people who had had uh, or the serum from people, obviously, um, who had had two doses of an mRNA vaccine or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson & Janssen vaccine, but they had 
very, very large numbers of uh, neutralization uh, for anybody who'd had three doses. Um, so something like 16% or 16 fold higher. Um, so very good numbers. Um, and then again, more data out of the UK, three doses was associated with an 89% reduction in hospitalization um, among symptomatic cases. And um, it started to drop, but not too badly. So 10 weeks after the third dose, they still had uh, an 85% reduction in hospitalization. So 89 down to 85 over 10 weeks is actually much more durable immunity than uh, what especially the Pfizer data shows after two doses. So again, when we talked about the booster, we talked about why it was going to be really helpful for increasing the durability of immunity. So we don't have that that drop off uh, following this, the, the most recent shot you got. It's not going to drop off as much after the third shot or as quickly after the third shot compared to the second. And that data helps to, helps to confirm that. Um, so uh, also, uh, there is some limited data showing there is protection from, from previous infection as well. Um, so there's some data out of uh, Qatar that showed that previous infection, uh, the, the protection against hospitalization and death was 69% for alpha. Um, it was something like in the high 90s, 100% for Delta, 88% for Omicron. Um, again, this was over a fairly short time period, uh, and it's a fairly small sample size, um, but it is some of the only, only data we have at this point in terms of how well, um, if you had Alpha or Delta uh, and have not been vaccinated, how protected you are against hospitalization hospitalization and death from Omicron. And again, this is likely going into a lot of the data showing reduced severity of infection because we're two years into this pandemic now. And so the, the rates of, or the percentage of the population who has either been vaccinated or had COVID-19 is, is getting to be quite high in a lot of places in the world. So I want to wrap up with um, actually some really interesting data that kind of gets at the um, at why Omicron has been so effective at displacing Delta. So even a few weeks ago, there were a lot of experts, immunologists, virologists, public health experts who were postulating that Omicron was different enough from Delta that we would just have both and we would have an Omicron pandemic and a Delta pandemic and that they would overlap. Uh, which was like really disconcerting, um, you know, to, to read. And the, the rationale for that was that um, the antibodies that we were making were just different enough, right? Because of those crazy 50 uh, mutations in Omicron. But what is very good data and why um, anybody who, who has had Omicron, who's listening to the show, or who gets Omicron, even though you're taking precautions, why I'm really hoping, um, I'm hoping you can hold on to this data um, and help to alleviate some of the anxiety, um, you know, especially as we're talking about things like long COVID, um, which of course we're going to get into more detail next week. Um, the, the good news out of, out of this, not a reason to try to go get Omicron, 
but good news and something to hold on to if you do get it is that Omicron infection was shown to enhance the immunity against Delta. And that's why that's why Omicron has been able to um, to overtake the world and um, and why we're seeing so little Delta in most places now compared to Omicron. So what they showed was if you got Omicron, you had a 14-fold increase in neutralizing antibodies against Omicron. That makes sense. Um, but you also had a 4.4-fold increase in neutralizing antibodies against Delta. So the, this study, and again, we'll put links in the, the show notes, showed that uh, if you do happen to get Omicron, you are more protected against Delta. And this is, of course, even more true in people who are getting a breakthrough infection with Omicron and have been vaccinated as well. Um, so they were able to show this both in, in vaccinated and unvaccinated, but they were able to show that the enhanced immunity with an Omicron breakthrough infection, if you were vaccinated, the enhanced immunity against Delta was even higher than if you were unvaccinated and got Omicron. So that is that is some good news to hold on to. It doesn't necessarily tell us much about, again, uh, sequelae um, and long COVID chances, which again, we're gonna talk about next week. Um, we're gonna also, one of the things I really wanna talk about next week, uh, in the hopes that next week will be our last COVID show ever, is talk about some of the really interesting science that's been done over the last couple of years now, looking at supplements, uh, nutrients, diet, uh, lifestyle, and how that impacts risk of severe COVID-19 and death from COVID-19. Um, I think there's uh, not a lot of surprises in that information, but there is some actionable information in there. And I actually think that that information in a lot of ways is going to um, really bust some myths that are continuing to be pervasive in health conscious communities like COVID-19 is just a fat people virus. We're going to bust that next week because uh, no, it's not. Um, and and uh, we're going to go through you the data. You can't see me, but I'm smiling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to go through the data on that on that next week. Um, you know, we're very aware that this is a lot of information to go through. Um, but again, you know, that's listeners. That's why you're here. You love you love the science deep dives. Uh, you love you love all the data. And I think with Omicron, one of the things that I have found very frustrating is um, is headlines. I've yeah. just found headlines very frustrating because Clickbait. to me, yeah, very click more clickbaity than other times in the pandemic even. Um, and they have been both the extremes of it's just a common cold. It's the end of the pandemic, right? It's, it's all the things that we don't either aren't supported by data or we don't actually know. We don't actually know if Omicron is the last variant we're going to be dealing with. We don't know that. Um, or it's, uh, Delta Cron, the worst thing ever, which just as an aside is almost certainly, uh, contaminate contamination of sample in a lab error and not actually a thing. Um, or it's, uh, you know, the, the, you know, fear, fear for your lives type. It's kind of, it's all the different extremes. And I think, um, I think it's so easy to tune out and decide I'm not going to engage with 
any of this information when it's presented that way. And that, of course, doesn't, that means that we don't have the information that is really helpful for informing our day-to-day -day choices and informing our own sort of risk assessments and, and uh, determining our own risk tolerance. So that's why I think it's so important to do these deep dives. Um, again, I am, I am hoping that next week's show will be the last time we talk about COVID-19 on the podcast. Um, but of course, I keep saying um, that, keep jinxing keep saying us. it, keep saying it, it keeps not happening, but eventually I will say it and it really will be the last. See, well, I'm excited to share a little more about what we really think and what's going on in each of our lives and how we're handling this in our Patreon. So if you yeah. haven't joined over there yet, we have a, uh, additional show every week at patreon.com slash the whole view and we are implementing additional um, features and services and things like that so if you were a part of it before and uh, it wasn't a fit for you maybe check it out again but one of the things that I want to talk about is how I'm handling all the people in my life who are now trying to figure out how to live and mm -hmm. you know how we're going about that so we'll share some of that in our patreon and i hope that you can join us um if not thank you so much for being here and just a huge thank you to sarah for empowering us with this information because i know that without it i don't feel equipped to have the conversations and make the decisions that i need to make for myself and for my family and my loved ones and i know how very much work this was for you she yeah. was not kidding when she says it's 25 pages of notes um and that's just not pulling together 25 pages of notes that's actually reading all of the research that goes into a couple of bullets for those notes so thank you endlessly for your sacrifice in putting all of this together as Sarah mentioned, we'll be back next week to answer a lot of the questions that have come in about it. Now that we've kind of laid the foundation, um, we'll have a lot more um, in implementation for next week. But if you want a little preview of that, pop over to Patreon where we'll be talking about what we do in our real life. And if you enjoyed the show and you want to share it with others, that is the greatest gift for us. We appreciate your referrals and your sharing of the information, helping people understand that this is a safe, judgment-free zone and that we're here to empower you with information. And I hope that you feel you've gotten that. We'll be back again next week. We love providing the Whole View podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As and weekly bonus audio. But they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real Everything Blog. And I'm at The Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.